If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and be finding, because it may take it just for a minute or two, you want to find the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And I want you to turn there, turn there this morning as we start uh, a series. It's only three chapters long, a short series through this book. Uh, but it has so much modern implications today. You may be here and you may not have a Bible with you. If you'll look right in front of you uh, in your pew, there's a copy of God's Word right there. It's a red, maroon uh, type of uh, color of a Bible. Just take that. And if you have one of those Bibles, it's page 598 is the book of Habakkuk. So go ahead and be taking those. We are so thankful for those. They've only been with us for a week or two in our pews. They were made possible by an anonymous donor of our church. And we thank you so much for that. Uh, we want everybody who comes to the Lord's house, uh, whether they have a, a word, the Word of God or maybe they forgot it or maybe they don't have a copy of God's Word, to be able to follow along uh, with the message and to be able to read and be able to share uh, what, uh, be able to, um, to see what God is saying to him this morning. But let's read together the book of Habakkuk as you follow along the first 11 verses. Everybody there? All right, here it is. The Bible says in verse 1, the, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and how, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their charges, chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earth, earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God." I want to share for a few moments this morning a message that is entitled, What in the World is Going On? You can read this text this morning and your comment is, What in the world is going on? Recently, CNN published an article that was entitled, Why I Raise My Children Without God. This article went viral. It went all over the internet. It was written by a young mother named Deborah Mitchell. She listed several reasons why she shielded her children from learning about God. Most of them variations of the problem of evil. Mitchell argued that a loving God would not allow murders, child abuse, wars, 
brutal beatings, torture, and millions of heinous acts to be committed throughout the history of mankind. This young mother writes from a heart of so many Americans and really so many people in this world. If God is God, then why? And you can fill in the blank with a host of different answers, with a host of different questions. If God is really God, then, then why? Questions that, that we may think, even as believers, we may ask questions like this. Who are we? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of history? What is God's involvement in history? Why is there so much evil in history? Why is there so much evil today? Why doesn't God do something about wickedness? How can I believe in a loving and personal God when He allows bad things to happen to me? I can go on for 10 or 15 minutes these questions that are true to so many people's heart. And I guarantee you there are people in this room today that are asking those same simple questions. If God is God, then why? Habakkuk is asking those questions. There's not much in the Bible about Habakkuk. In fact, if you uh, outside of the book of Habakkuk, his name is not mentioned. But Habakkuk was a Jewish prophet. He was one that prophesied around 550, 600 B.C. So according to Old Testament standards, he's a very modern prophet. He was one of the last of the Old Testament books that was written. And Habakkuk is writing, he is prophesying during a time where the nation of Israel is in ruin. The nation of Israel, are, they are in corruption because of their sin. One of the kings that served and that reigned before Habakkuk was a king named Josiah. Josiah ought to ring a bell because he was eight years old when he began to be king of Judah, when he began to be king of Israel. When he was 16 years old, he started to change the, the, the platform of Israel, the, the, the lifestyle of Israel, because when Josiah became king, the nation of Israel was in sin. The temple, uh, they were, they, there was idolatry, sin all around. Josiah brought back revival, brought back a fear of God. And then when Josiah gave up the reign and the next kings came, Israel's right back into a state of sin. And Habakkuk is asking this question. He doesn't ask God. I mean, excuse me, he doesn't ask anybody except God. He doesn't ask any other prophet. He simply asks God, what in the world is going on? Look, if you will, at the first couple of verses of chapter 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. This is what he saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you, God, will not hear. Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. A couple of things I want you to see. Number one is I want you to see the observations from an honest prophet. Some observations from a very honest prophet named Habakkuk. The first thing, the first question that he asks is this. Should I just accept sin? If there's so much sin around us, and it is the norm for today, Habakkuk is crying out. He said, Lord, am I just supposed to accept what's going on in Israel? Say, so what kind of question is that, Brother John? The same question the United States of America is asking. 
with so much sin around us, should we not just accept what is going on? Should we not just accept that life is not normal anymore and that we need to embrace sin? It's not just a question for our country. It's a question that's being asked for the church today. Why don't we just accept sin? Because if we do that, so many more people will come and so many more people will feel comfortable in the Lord's house. Should I just accept sin? The Bible says here in verse number 3 that violence is everywhere. Verse 2, he says, and even I cry out to you, violence. Violence was everywhere, just like it was before the days of Noah, before the flood. When mankind lived in sin and there was, there was uh, uh, sin everywhere. Sin was ever, even among the people who claim that they had salvation from sin. The, the, not, not just the, the Gentiles or the, the, the heathen of the day, but even the nation of Israel, those who were God's chosen people, those who went to the temple to worship Almighty God, there was no difference between them and those who did, who did not know the Lord. So he's asking, am I just supposed to, to accept Sin. The Bible goes on to say not only was there violence everywhere, not only was there sin among the people of God, but look what the Bible says in verse number 4. Therefore the law is powerless. The, the law was disrespected. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, there was, there was no, uh, no fear of the Old Testament. It was, it was just ignored. The Bible says down here in the last part of verse number 4, The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Not only was the law disrespected, but sinners were praised and Christians were persecuted. You don't have to read Habakkuk very long to say this book is very, very timely. When we live in a society where sinners are praised and Christians are persecuted. Therefore, the Bible says perverse judgment proceeds. Should I just accept sin? I believe a second observation that Habakkuk asks is this. Does God even care? Does God even care? If God cares then why doesn't He do something about the wickedness among the nation of Israel? If God cares today, then why is He allowing Christians to be persecuted and sinners to be praised? If God cares today, and that's a question that He asks in verse number 2. He says, Lord, Lord, how long shall I cry? Do you even care, God? It's an honest observation. Does God even care? It seems as though God allowed the nation of Israel to crumble without concern. If God is God, then He must judge sin. And does God even care? Because sin is running rampant among the nation of Israel. God is sitting back watching the nation of Israel crumble. His own chosen people, His own people, just watching them crumble. And does God even care? 
Some of you are asking this morning with all the things that are going on in your life and all of the, the, the maybe trials or, or, or things that are happening around you and sometimes you may just sit up at night and you ask the question just like Habakkuk, Lord, do you even care? Do you even know what's going on? What in the world is going on? I'll give you a third observation. The first part of verse 2 says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you, God, will not hear. Habakkuk's third observation is this. This prayer even work. How long, Lord? How long am I supposed to cry out to you and you won't hear? Habakkuk knew the Bible. I wonder if he thought back to the times where Elijah stood on the Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal called out to their God. And guess what the Bible says? He will not hear. And I wonder if Habakkuk thought, well, I guess maybe we're just like those prophets of Baal. Maybe our God's just like any other God. Sometimes He works, sometimes He doesn't. Say, Brother John, I I don't know if it's ever that bad. Have you ever questioned if your prayers have ever been answered? Some of you are praying right now and God hasn't answered and you're wondering, well, I guess maybe it's about time to give up. I don't think God's ever going to work. I've prayed and 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 nothing's happening in my life. And an honest observation from a person who loves God like Habakkuk, does prayer even work? Or am I just wasting my time? So many prayers are sent from the hearts of God's people to which for a time at least there's no response. Silence. Not even a verse, not even a song, not even a, uh, a, a still small voice comes to our hearts and there's just, there's nothing. It's as if we never even prayed. Habakkuk said, Lord, how long? How long shall I cry and you will not hear? I even cry out to you, Lord, there's violence. The people of God are in sin and Lord, you will not even save. Honest observation. From a prophet. But let me show you God's response. Verse 5, the Lord says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For I am raising up the Chaldeans. Another name for the Chaldeans in your translation, it's the Babylonians. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a bitter and a hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. And as I read at the beginning of the message, the, the vastness of this army, there was no human army in the world that was greater than a Babylonian army. Just go back and read some of their cavalry and some of the, the animals and the different things, the horses and the, the chariots and all the things that, that, that the Lord described this particular enemy. Four things that God responded. Number one is this. 
God has been, God is, and God will be always in control of history. There has never been a moment in this earth that God has not been in control. And he tells that to Habakkuk. He says, I am about to work a work in your day that you will not even believe. See, I'm raising up this nation. I'm raising up the Babylonians who will come and who will conquer the nation of Israel. God has been, God is, and God will always be in control. How comforting is it to know that every single nation on earth is under the hand of God? Can I remind you that the Babylonians did not even believe in God. They didn't believe in Jehovah God. They had hundreds of gods. And yet God said, I'll cause those who don't even believe in me to come and to do a work among the nation of Israel. Even nations that don't believe in God are under the hand of Almighty God. So when, the, when we think about this, God raised up the Chaldeans. God is the Lord of history. Some of our fiercest enemies today as Americans, you can say they're, they're people like ISIS or the country of North Korea or, or Iraq or Syria. You can name all the nations of the world and they may be enemies of America. They may be enemies of Almighty God, but God controls those nations. That's why the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the what? Lord. He says, I control every nation. I have always been in charge of history from the times of, uh, of, of the beginning of creation, even Habakkuk's day, all the way till today. God has been, God is, and God will always be in control of history. Let me give you a couple of verses to back that up. Do you believe God controls every hail that falls, every snowflake, every tornado that forms, every hurricane that's in, the, in the, this hemisphere, every typhoon on the other side of the world? Every phenomenon in weather, God controls that. The Bible Bible says in Psalm 148 verse 8, fire, hail, snow, clouds, stormy wind, all fulfill His Word. Psalm 148 verse 8, God controls every life. God controls every death. God knows the beginning of every child that's ever born. God knows the end date of every individual that's in this earth. Even the small decisions... God's in control of all of those. Proverbs 16, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, 33. God controls every election. Hello? God controls every election. Daniel 2, verse 21. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and He raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Let me read you what Psalm 33 says to you here in just a second about kings and about those who claim to be wise. Psalm 33, the Bible says, verse 10, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Not only does God in control of history in the past, history today, and history in the future, but number two, God always has a plan. God always has a plan. 
He told the nation of, uh, of Judah through Habakkuk, he says, I am about to work a work in your day. I have a plan. Habakkuk, I know you've been crying out, but I want you to know something. I have a plan. The nation, even though they are in sin, even though they've turned their back on me, I am raising up these Babylonians, the most fierce army in the world, and I have a plan, and they're going to come, and they're going to destroy the nation of Israel. May not be your plan, may not be my plan, but God always has a plan. God's plan does not come by accident. I'm reminded of what Jeremiah said also during the days when the nation of Israel was living in sin. It's that verse that we quote so often, for I know the thoughts, for I know the plans that I have towards you. Plans to prosper and to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 55 verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. God always has a plan. God has a plan for your life. God is in control of your history. God's in control of your days. God's in control of everything about you. God is in control of you and He has a plan for your life. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus, His plan for you long before you were even born, even before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. He sent His Son Jesus to die for all the world. And His plan for your life is for you to repent of your sins and trust in Him and to receive eternal life. Long before you were even born, God had a plan for your life and it's to save you from your sins. Once you give your life to Christ and you begin to walk with Jesus, nothing happens in your life that does not first go through the hand of God. So there may be an illness, there may be a tragedy, there may be this circumstance or this circumstance. All of that is a part of the plan of God for your life. I may not be able to explain it all, and you may not be able to explain it all. But if I was able to explain it all, it wouldn't be God. And I'm glad there's some things in my life I can't explain because that means you have to trust in a holy God. That He knows all. And His plan is always perfect. God always has a plan. Number three, God's timing is always perfect. A response from God is that He's in control of history. He always has a plan and that His timing is always perfect. You remember the first part of Habakkuk 1 verse 2? He's crying out and, and, and it seems like God's not hearing. But then God responds in perfect timing. He says, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, a bitter and a hasty nation. They're going to come. They're going to overtake the nation of Israel. One thing God does not, one word that is not in God's vocabulary is time. God is everywhere. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning. God has no beginning. God has no end. Time is an earthly term. Time is a human term. That's why when you get to heaven, you can't say, well, I wonder how old I'm going to be. It doesn't matter. There's no age in heaven. There's no time in heaven. Because it's in the eternal. And God does not work by time. But His timing in our life is always perfect according to His plan and according to His time. Let me give you an example, a New Testament example. And some of you had this in Sunday school here recently. Uh, John chapter 11, when, when, you remember when Jesus was with His disciples and Lazarus was in Bethany and He was dead? 
The Bible says he was sick, sick unto death. He had died and the word got to Jesus and, and they said, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is sick. You need to go see him. You notice what Jesus, oh, I need to hurry up. Got to hurry up. You know, you only got like a, you know, 20 minute rule then I, that for, for raising people from the dead. No, he stayed there two more days. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, Jesus, what about Lazarus? Man, you love him. Don't we need to go see him? No, we're okay. They get up the next morning. Jesus, what about Lazarus? Hey, he's, he's all right. He's in heaven. He's doing good. <laughs> he's all right. And they wait two days. Then they have to travel two days to get to Bethany. That's why when Jesus approaches the grave of Lazarus, some of the people said, he's been there four days. And yet Jesus' timing is always perfect. I believe sometimes Jesus waits in our life. Brother John, I'm praying for something, and why isn't He answering my prayer? One of the best reasons why God waits on things, it's not that God can't do anything. God created this whole world in seven days. He, he could have done it in one day if He wanted to. He could have done it in one minute. could have done it in one second. One of the major reasons why He waits is that so when He does work, everybody knows it's God. All hope had been lost at the tomb of Lazarus. He's been there four days. And even Habakkuk here, Lord, I've cried out. I don't know what else to pray. And then what Habakkuk was praying, God didn't answer. You know, you know what Habakkuk was praying? God, would the nation repent? God, would the nation come back to you? Habakkuk was not praying. Yeah, send the Babylonians over. We'd love to get destroyed. Can't wait for it. That's what we're praying for. Yet God's timing is always perfect. Most of the time when God delays, He wants to show us that He is God. And He all wants to work a work when everyone thinks it's impossible. And then number four and the last one. A response from our God is this, is that God always works for His kingdom. God always works for His kingdom. Psalm 103 verse 19, the Bible says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven. And His kingdom rules over all. The Lord was using a heathen nation to work a work in His kingdom. Why would God allow the Babylonians to come into the nation of Israel and to destroy the nation of Israel? To bring them to a point of repentance. The Babylonians, the Bible says here that, that uh, they, verse 10, they scoff at kings and princes are scorned by, they deride every stronghold, stronghold for they heap up uh, earthen mounds and seize it. That there's, there's, this, is, this is land that's not even theirs. But God uses the Babylonians to bring the nation of Israel to repentance. Sometimes God uses people who don't even believe in God to bring a nation to repentance. 
Let us not stumble when we see surprising things happening in our world. Instead, let us ask these questions. What is the relevance of this event to the kingdom of God? When natural disasters hit our country, when circumstances that we can't control, the question is never, why, God? The question is, God, what are you trying to do? What is God teaching me through this? What is there in me that needs to be corrected? Where have I gone wrong and why is God allowing these things to happen? Never doubt the love and the justice of God. As Habakkuk is writing this and he hears this this horror plan of God that the Chaldeans are coming to destroy the nation of Israel, never doubt that God's plan is always perfect and He shows His plan through His love for you. God always works for His kingdom. Since the days when Adam and Eve sinned, sin has always been in this world. You know what the Bible says the punishment for sin is? Death. And of the seven billion that are alive today and the seven billion that's lived since the first day of Adam and Eve, Every person who's been on this earth deserved one thing, death. The question is never, God, why are you allowing these things to happen to me? God, why are you doing this? Or God, why are you not doing that? God, why is there illness in my life? God, why is this happening to me? Why are my children... All these, those are the wrong questions. The question for you is this, God, why do you love me so much that you sent your son to die for me and to save me from my sins? God, why are you not letting me go to hell? And to be under the wrath of Almighty God. Because that's where my sin should lead me. God, why are you not letting me suffer the consequences for my failure to you? God, why are you not letting me do that? Not that you want to, but those are the honest questions. And God in His love are answering those saying, you don't have to. See, I've always been in charge of history. And I've always had a plan. But the Bible says in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, that Mary, a woman, gave birth to a baby who was the Son of God. And that man lived 33 and a half perfect years. Perfect timing. Jesus went to the cross when the fullness of time had come. He stretched out His arms and His legs and He died for you and died for me and took your place in hell. Took your sins upon the cross. He's always had a plan. And His timing is always perfect. And everything that God does is related to the kingdom of God. God wants you to trust in Him as His Savior and to repent of your sins and to enjoy the plan and the purpose of Almighty God, not just here in this world, but when He comes back to take you home where you'll spend in heaven for eternity forever and ever and ever. See, God has a plan. And God's in charge of that plan. The question is, are you in that plan? Have you accepted that plan? Have you said, Lord, thank you that you thought of me long before I was even born and you died for me? Thank you that your plan 
is greater than what I deserve. Your plan for me is to be saved and to be born again. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads all across this room. What in the world is going on? And I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different today. This may be your first Sunday here and you're not accustomed to kind of the way we do things normally. But I want to do things a little bit differently this morning. I just simply want to ask you if you're saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means that you've come to a point in your life where you've repented of your sins and you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know without a shadow of a doubt you've made that decision. If you're sure of that this morning, what I want you to do, if you know the Lord and you're sure, God is your only witness. I want you just to raise your hand and say, Brother John, I know I'm saved this morning. I know I'm a believer. I know if Jesus come back today, I'd go home. Thank you. Thank you. That's between you and God. Some of you, maybe you couldn't raise your hand. Say, Brother John, I don't know. Maybe there's some questions like Habak- just like Habakkuk. Some questions that you don't know the answer to. Some things that you're struggling with about Jesus and about the relationship with God. How many of you this morning would be honest and say, Brother John, I'm not a believer today. And I don't mind, I don't mind sharing that. I'm not a Christian. But it's something I may be open to. If that describes you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand. It's, that's between you and God. I'm not a believer today, but it's something I may be open to. Just raise your hand, put it right back down. For some, that may be hard. Just to confess before God, say, God, I need you today. What I want to do, and I want to just have a time of invitation. It's an opportunity where you can respond. It's an opportunity where you can take a step of faith and to turn to trust in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you don't know the Lord, when we sing here in just a minute, I want you just to come. And I'll, I'll be down here in the front. Brother Jeremy, some of our staff will be down here in the front. Our whole purpose here today was not about high attendance day. It was about seeing people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and then to see Christians encouraging their faith to be more bold in their witness for God. That's the reason why we're here in the church. And I challenge if you don't know Jesus, if you would, to come. There may be other decisions you need to make. Maybe those who need to follow the Lord believers' baptism. Maybe those who are guests who need to join this church. Whatever God leads you to do, I encourage you to come here in just a moment. Father, we thank you for today. Be with this invitation, Lord. May those who need to come, Lord, would they come today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's